Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist Church. My name is Joe Kate. I'm the minister here, and we're so grateful that you're here. This is a special Sunday, a different Sunday, a unique, only this Sunday happens uh, once a year in this, uh, in this church. It's Consecration Sunday, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and we uh, give our pledges, our promises, our commitments for the next year, and then have a celebration Thanksgiving meal. We have uh, special music today. Caroline, thank you for joining us today. We have a special speaker today, Reverend Reggie Thaxton, uh, who has um, uh, served this conference for a number of years and uh, made churches uh, better as he found them and is one of my heroes. And his claim to fame now is a lake church that he does in the summer. He preaches to people on boats on the shoreline. And so I'm grateful uh, for you being here today, Reggie. I'm going to call on our children's director, Aaron Knight, for a couple of announcements. Good morning. I have a couple of exciting things to share with you this morning. One you may have already noticed, and that's the children's art show that you'll see in the hallway surrounding the sanctuary. We've been studying the five practices of fruitful congregations for the past five weeks, and you'll see some of the exciting things the kids did on the wall, um, both their ideas of ways this church can practice um, all five of these uh, important practices, and also some photographs of them in action as they were learning. Uh, for radical hospitality, um, the very youngest ones, the threes, fours class, put on a tea party for the kindergarten, uh, for the infant walkers class. And if you want to talk about something cute to see, it's a, a three or four year old reaching out in hospitality. They did everything from cutting the bananas to decorating the tablecloths, making the invitations, delivering those, and then serving their guests. So that was really special. Uh, the older children were trained in radical hospitality so that they now know how to welcome visitors, um, serve as greeters, open doors, all the different things they can do to make people feel welcome here. For passionate worship, um, they gathered in this room, all ages in different times, time slots, um, and they learned about the symbols in this room, in the um, stained glass windows, um, in the uh, kneeling uh, benches here for the, the prayer rail, uh, and everything in here was explained to them and they got to sit in the choir loft or stand at the pulpit and really talk about what it means to have passionate worship. They also studied the sacraments. Uh, for intentional faith development, the older children learned about John Wesley and the very intentional way he went about seeking the deepest relationship with God he could possibly have. Um, while the younger ones talked about Jesus in the temple and how um, he even practiced intentional faith development, so certainly we should. Uh, for risk-taking mission and service, the children decorated the um, Thanksgiving boxes that will be given out today, and we also had a talk um, that was very uh, impactful for them in which they learned that one in five children in their classrooms goes, home, goes to bed hungry at night and we talked about what they could do about that. Um, for extravagant generosity, um, the children, you might have seen some kids' heads peeking out up here um, at sometimes during the Sunday school hour. They were counting the hymnals and the um, Bibles in the pews. They did an inventory of all the things the church provides so that we can worship, so that we can have intentional faith development and mission and service. So they got a very good sense of what the church provides and what we need to do and how we all can give to help that happen. So thank you for your uh, time as I explained all that, do take a moment before you go to lunch and look if you haven't already. And um, 
the other announcement I had in the spirit of risk-taking mission and service, there is no Sunday night programming for children and youth tonight because we're encouraging everyone to help deliver the Thanksgiving boxes at 1.30. Um, before that, so you don't have to leave and come back to church, um, we're inviting people to uh, make Christmas with us as a family in the straight room directly after lunch. Thank you, Aaron. Next week, we begin our new series. It's The Journey, Walking the Road to Bethlehem by Adam Hamilton, and it has a book. This will be the last time that we use a book for some time. Uh, we're going to use the lectionary starting on January 1st through the end of the summer. Um, but if you would like to purchase a book, they'll be available next week uh, for $12 to follow along with what we do in Advent. So let's stand uh, and sing our first hymn, number 694, Come Ye Thankful People, Come.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence she shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of the blessed. Please be seated. Our first scripture lesson today comes from Psalm 138 and is found on page 973 in your pew Bible or within a couple pages of that if you have a different one. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord. When they hear the words of your mouth, may they sing the ways of the Lord. For the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this house in which we may gather to read your text, to sing your songs, to pray your prayers, to proclaim your word. May everything we do in this service honor and glorify you. We thank you for this special day in which we can make our promises to you for next year. To bless this church, to bless our children, our youth, our adults, our local community, our region, our world. Help us, Lord, to be generous this season in every way, inside and outside of this church. Lord, we pray for all those who are traveling this week and all those who are taking every one of those people to their homes. Give them clear eyes. Give them sharp minds as they take precious cargo around this world. Give us friendly spirits around the Thanksgiving table after a contentious season. Help us, Lord, in everything that we do to praise you. Inspire us this morning, Lord, as we pray the prayer your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. It's now time for our tithes and other offerings. The ushers will come forward and pass the, pass the plates. And we track every single aspect of this day in terms of um, who was here. So if you haven't already signed the attendance register, if you would please do so uh, uh, if you see it anywhere on your aisle so that we can know that you were here. Thank you.
The Gospel reading is from the 13th chapter of uh, the Gospel according to St. Luke. And uh, Jesus is meeting with a large group of people and someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And Jesus said, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said, Take care. Be on your guard and against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There was a time when I tended to categorize sins, list them from major to minor, believing that some of them were worse than others and that the punishment uh, would be, uh, be given out based on the severity of those sins. I was surprised, as some of you may be, to learn that the Bible does not have such a list. In the Bible, sin is anything that separates us from God, and there are certainly more than seven ways to do that. Pope Gregory the Great, for whatever reason, initiated the idea of the seven deadly sins. And that was in the seventh century, and 700 years later, Dante wrote the Inferno, a 14th century epic poem which details his descent circle by circle through the eternal punishment of lost souls down to the fiery pit at the center of the earth. The list has been a part of religious culture since then. And Robert Langdon, who gave us the movie The Da Vinci Code, has just released another movie based on Inferno. And I have been told, though I'm too old to know anything about it, that there, are video, there is a video game based on Inferno. Some of you can name the seven deadly sins. I had to learn them in college. For whatever reason, I don't know. But I had to learn them in college. And they were, um, they were pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. And I think it will not surprise you that each of those seven deadly sins is based on personal selfishness. And I'm convinced that at the heart of Dante's Inferno is the sin of greed. 
You don't have to look hard to see evidences of greed and of the damage inflicted on others because of greed. We are surrounded by and we are victims of greed which afflicts us in corporate and governmental and personal forces. I've been a fan for years of audiobooks. I like to listen to something with quality when I am traveling on the road, and I do a lot of traveling, and so I became addicted to the idea of listening to audiobooks when I picked up the cardinal sins by a Roman Catholic priest called, whose name was Andrew Greeley. He later wrote My Brother's Wife and a number of other uh, very popular bestsellers. I was recently going through some of my some of the stuff that I've saved in all my years of the ministry that my wife keeps telling me I need to throw away but uh, I keep wading through it and I found an article which had been written by Andrew Greeley before his death well obviously before his death <laughs> in that article he wrote that the most serious spiritual problem in the country is reckless and untrammeled greed. He supported the statement by saying that, among other things, greed caused the disgraceful corporate scandals, is responsible for crooked cops and crooked politicians, has produced tax cuts that gave to the rich and in effect took away from the poor, is responsible for the obscene salaries of CEOs, explains much of the cheating on college campuses, is responsible for the exploitation of teen sports stars by colleges and for the mess in the pro sports world. Greed, he says, drives murders in the narcotic world and is behind the scams of those who steal from the elderly. Have some of you experienced that? Do you get those phone calls? You don't, Joe, but... Do you get those phone calls that are obviously directed at those of us who don't think as rapidly as we used to or as thoroughly? You know, the ones that say you owe money to the Internal Revenue Service and we're coming after you next week if you don't send us the money. Uh, my wife got them the other day and her only response to them was, well, come on. <laughs> they didn't. Of course, when she says that to me, I don't either. But... <laughs> or that your computer is infected by some viruses, and if, they were, if you would give them access to the computer. Um, I don't know what they're talking about. I got one the other day, and, it, and, and the gentleman was speaking with a, a very thick accent, so he knew he wasn't from Sumter, South Carolina. And he said... Um, you have won a prize. And I said, that's wonderful. What kind of prize did I win? You have won $2 million and a BMW. I didn't say BMW because I'm in Greer. He literally said that. I have won $2 million and a BMW. I said, I don't want it. You don't want a prize? No. I, you don't want a BMW and $2 million? I said, no, I have a much greater prize. You have a better prize than $2 million and a BMW? I said, yes, I do. What is that? I said, I have eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to tell you about it. Do you want to get that prize? And he hung up. <laughs> And 
and he hasn't called back. Now, there are other examples, but you don't need them because we live in a world of violence fed by greed where authority is manipulated, where robberies and lootings and threats of harm uh, afflict every neighborhood and where grossly inflated prices accompany every natural disorder. I lived in, in Charleston during Hugo and I watched the price of gas double and I, and I watched the city license bureau increase their licenses suddenly overnight for people who came in to work. We recently had Matthew in my part of the state. Some of you here may know about it. I know I was talking to some folks earlier today who grew up in the, in the PD of South Carolina. A tree fell across the church where I was pastoring Marion and where, uh, uh, where there are other people here who were in Marion, um, Dennis and, and Marcia, and a big, big tree fell out of the cemetery across the back of the church. They can't get into their sanctuary. They can't get into their education building until they can remove the tree and rewire the building. And so they called a tree removal service and they said, can you remove this tree? And they said, oh yes, yes. What's your price? $50,000. I thought that was exorbitant. The insurance company called them. $50,000. That was his price for removing the tree. The church still not, has, still has not had the tree removed. What, what prompts that kind of thing? When people are in trouble, why do prices inflate instead of reduce? It's greed. Greed has an inordinate desire to acquire possessions more than one has and it has become an effective marketing tool I posted on Facebook that's about all I know about computers I posted one day last week that instead of worrying about the high cost of living perhaps we could focus on the high cost of wanting and I got a bunch of likes immediately and one of them said God said he would fulfill our needs but not fulfill our greeds it's true. We've become victims of the desire to have something bigger and better and more attractive, whether it's a car or a cell phone or a house or whatever the neighbors have. Mahatma Gandhi reminded us that earth provides enough to satisfy every person's need but not every person's greed. And isn't that what Jesus said in the scripture today? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not, does not uh, consist of the abundance of possessions. And then Jesus told a story. It's a story with which you are familiar about a farmer who had a banner year with his crops but he didn't have room to store it all and so he said he would uh, build larger barns to store his grain and that he would relax and eat, drink and be merry. And you know what happened. That night he died. You know the point of that story, don't you? Is it that you've never seen a U-Haul trailer pulled by a hearse? Or is it that the psalmist was telling the truth when he said, do not be afraid when some become rich, when the wealth of their houses increase. For when they die, they will carry nothing away. 
their wealth will not go down after them. Or does it mean, as Jesus said, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. I want you to consider the choice you have to make not just on Consecration Sunday but the choice you have to make every day. And that choice is to choose a life or a lifestyle. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the Sokahatchee Summer Service. Uh, we, we entertain those kids who come to Santee, 125 teenagers who come down to work on substandard housing in Clarendon and Orangeburg counties. I had a family in the church from which I retired who, the entire family, went on Salkahatchee summer service projects, became missionaries. Uh, the mother wrote a book about it. I have a copy of the book. She said, many people, rich, poor, and in between, have succumbed to what is known as affluenza. The symptoms of this crippling affliction includes ridiculous Christmas indulgences, never-ending wish lists, excessive waste, and debt. Affluenza is an extreme form of materialism caused by the unfulfilled desire for more money and wealth. And she wrote in her book that she was convinced that affluenza is the evidence of a disease called greed, which is the result of arranging things solely in accordance with my appetites and my needs and my fantasies. It causes us to look for ways in which we can get what there is for our own use with no regard for what anyone else gets. Since I have retired, I have listened to a lot of sermons by Methodist ministers. And sometimes, sometimes it leaves me a little frustrated because, well, I remember a story that I heard years ago about a country preacher who was fond of big words and ponderous phrases. Committed met and explained that his sermons were not satisfactory. And he asked them, he said, how come don't I argufy and sputify? And they said, oh, you argufy and sputify, but you don't tell us where in. Have you heard those sermons? Explaining the reason? I, I try to teach, I, I try to preach sermons that will tell you where in. It's easy to criticize and to argue and to refute. But to map out a constructive course of action is more difficult. See, the genius and father of our faith, John Wesley, was a brilliant theologian, but he was also a very practical Christian. He established class meetings which did what he taught the people to do and things that a church should be doing. It freed him up to preach and to teach. 
and to edify the people and because the class meetings did such a good job and because they learned, the early Methodists learned to trust the transforming power of God and because Father John was such a practical leader, the people called Methodists began to flourish in England by living cleaner and better educated and more disciplined lives many Methodists became prosperous and they started wearing fine clothes and they started building fancy preaching houses and the result of the growing influence affluence was that John Wesley preached a sermon the title was The Use of Money. He followed that sermon with others called The Danger of Riches and The Danger of Increasing Riches. Wesley was not going after money. Wesley is reported to have said, when I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. You see, he was looking after their hearts and their souls. He knew that when they started focusing on money, they would stop focusing on God. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, you cannot serve God and money. But Wesley didn't just lift up the truth about the danger of money. He laid out three simple steps in his sermon on the use of money. This is what he told them about money. First, gain all you can. I thought I'd get an amen on that. <laughs> Gain all you can. Second, save all you can. And that's a sermon that almost every parent here has preached to their child. Is it not? And the third, give all you can. Wesley called money an excellent gift of God and challenged his followers to employ money to their great advantage. His lesson for us is first, gain all you can without paying more for it than it is worth and without hurting your health. Don't harm your health by working yourself to death. Remember that you cannot take it with you. Don't cheat or lie or violate your conscience and don't hurt your neighbor. Gain all you can within those limits. Second, save all you can. And what Wesley meant by that was learn to live a lifestyle without waste. Don't waste your money on superfluous, overly expensive, or needless purchases. That's the discipline needed by those who are afflicted with affluenza. I read about a family that was having a terrible disagreement over a patio they wanted in their backyard. The wife wanted a fine, big, fancy patio, and the husband wasn't quite up to that. He wanted to keep the cost to a minimum. And the wife won out, and the construction bill climbed higher and higher. And a neighbor came by one day when they were pouring the patio, the final uh, act of putting the concrete down and smoothing it out, and the man was standing there grinning from ear to ear, and his neighbor said, I didn't think you were happy about the patio and specifically about the amount of money it cost, but you look like you're really happy. 
And the man said, you see where they're smoothing that cement? I threw all my wife's credit cards in there. <laughs> Wesley was encouraging the Methodists to discover the contentment that the Apostle Paul said when I have learned when he said I have learned to be content with what I have. But Father John had a third bit of advice. He said we should give all we can. Now your giving all you can will be decidedly different from all that I can give. And that's proper. Because only you can choose a life or a lifestyle. Choose that which matters or that which glitters. Choose greed or choose generosity based on who you are and who God wants you to become. See, the writer of the Proverbs wrote, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. The genius behind the Methodist movement, Father John Wesley, said, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And here's your chance. It's time for the people of Memorial Church in Greer to set new goals for who you are going to become in the next year. Some people say it's about a church program. Some say it's about how wonderfully well things are going here. Some say it's about mission. I know you as a church would like to become a, a mission tither. You'd like to give a tenth of your budget to local missions. I, I do boat church in the summer and, and we are very generous people or try to be and we had a new man come in. He came from a, another denomination that kind of stresses tithing and he came in to us once at the, one of the board meetings. We had elected him to the board and he made a long speech and said I think we ought to tithe everything we get. And my uh, treasurer said, well, we'll be glad to do that. We already give over 20%. Now we'll cut it back. <laughs> no, you don't cut it back. You keep growing. That's, that's a spiritual truth. You give all you can. And here's your chance. We're going to give you a card. I want you to put your name and your address and phone number for the church records. And make your commitment. Commitment to the budget, commitment to the building fund. And you've already heard about making a step up, and I hope you'll consider it, that you'll take it up to the next level. Um, my dear friend Mary Cunningham is a minister's widow, lives in Sumter and attends our church. She's 102 years old. She told the congregation a couple of years ago that she heard a minister say, why don't you move up one step? And she said, I can do that. Even on my retirement, I can move up $5 a year. I can move up $5 a week every year for the rest of my life. She said, I didn't know I was going to live to be 102. <laughs> but she's still doing it, and so can you. And so can I. So we're going to give you a card and you're going to make your, you're going to set your goal 
let's don't say a promise, let's say it's a goal. A goal that you will try to reach for the next year in these areas of concern for Memorial Church. We'll ask you when you finish filling your card out and if some of you need to move to sit with the person who makes decisions for your family, you're welcome to do that. But if you will take the card, fill it out, and then bring it with an, and an act of commitment. There will be offering plates at each door. And some of you may be making a big leap and you want to tell God you need his help to give all you can. Um, after the handbells finish playing, there are... There is room on either side of the chancel area where you can kneel and ask God to enable you to keep this, to meet this goal. I will say a prayer. The prayer will include the table grace. When you finish filling out your card, bring it to the place of commitment and join me over in the, uh, the gym for, um, for our lunch together. And if you're a visitor with us today, you aren't expected to fill out a card, but we do want you to come to lunch and meet some of the wonderful people who make up this congregation. You may find that they're the kind of people you'd like to spend your spiritual life with. And uh, we would like to introduce you to them. Be my guest. Come over there. Will the ushers come and we'll give you the cards and we will allow you to dismiss yourself when you have filled out the card and brought it to the place of uh, commitment and dedication. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is a sacred moment in the life of this church. We're setting goals for defeating greed, for overcoming the sin that causes us to be selfish. So help us, Lord, to make wise choices, to set intelligent and attainable goals. And accept our gratitude as we do this for all the things that you provide us, including this lunch. Bless us as we partake of the food. Nurture us by the food and the fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay.